I want to bring in Eric Olson, the attorney who is representing the plaintiffs in this case, the voters who sued to remove Trump from the ballot in Colorado. And Eric, it's great to have you here tonight. What is your response to the arguments that the Trump legal team is laying out in this appeal tonight? Thanks, Caitlin. Our response is that this is more of the same. They basically claim that the Colorado Supreme Court got everything wrong when in fact they issued a thorough, detailed opinion affirming the trial court's finding that Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection against the Constitution and holding that the Constitution applies to him just like it applies to all of us. So you don't think that any of the arguments that they're making here, in your view, are valid? Well, there are arguments we've all seen before and have been rejected by the courts. He claims here, I guess, the one new thing is he claims for the first time that no court, not even the United States Supreme Court, can determine whether someone engaged in an insurrection and that he's above any judicial determination of what he did leading up to and on January 6th. That's just not the law, and we're confident the Supreme Court will reject that claim. Well, you know what, I'm interested in part of the argument here, and this is something that we have gone round and round about when talking about this issue with, with legal experts, constitutional law experts, and it's an argument that, as the Trump legal team says here, even if the Supreme Court in Colorado could consider challenges to Trump's eligibility, that they misapplied the law because the president is not an officer of the United States and never took an oath as one, and that the presidency is not an office under the U.S. Caitlin, that argument has been raised several times. The overwhelming majority of scholars reject it, and properly so, because to, to give that argument effect would mean that Jefferson Davis, who led the Confederacy, led the Civil War against the United States, could have become its president shortly thereafter. There's no indication in historical record that that's what anyone intended. It was a broad ban applying to all those who held office, office and were officers, and the president was and is both. So even in, as they kind of point out that there are other parts in the Constitution where it does lay out officers of the United States and it lists the presidency separately, you don't think that, that it's separate, even though it's referenced separately, separately in other parts of the Constitution? No, we think that the court, the Colorado Supreme Court, thoroughly addressed this question and properly held that the Constitution applies to everyone. And the purpose of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment was to prevent those that took an oath to support our Constitution and then engage in insurrection from holding office again. And there is no reason whatsoever to think that they left out the most powerful person in our democracy, the president, from that prohibition. Again, Jefferson Davis could become president under this theory. There's no basis in law or history for that to be the case. When it comes to this and the questions of, you know, you look back at history and what it tells you, but when we're looking ahead to what the Supreme Court is going to do here, do you, do you think that they will take this case up? And if so, you know, are you still hoping to get a decision as soon as February 11th? We certainly expect they will take the case. Every party to the case has urged them to take it. We disagree a little about what, what questions they should take, but every party has urged them to take it. And if they don't take this one, there's more behind. There's ones coming from Maine and perhaps other states. So the court will need to address this, this case quickly. This is an ideal vehicle to do it. 
As to whether they'll decide it by February 11th, you know, voters in Colorado receive their ballots on February 12th. We've asked the court to, to, to work quickly here to issue a briefing schedule, an argument schedule that allows them to complete a decision by February 11th so that those voters in Colorado and elsewhere on Super Tuesday have the benefit of knowing whether they, Donald Trump is disqualified. If they do take it, how tough do you think the fight's going to be for your side? I think this court has shown a willingness to step aside from sort of the partisan frame on these hard issues that are important to our democracy. We're optimistic that, as did the Colorado Supreme Court, that when you look closely at the legal arguments and evidence presented here, there really isn't a close case here. Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection against the Constitution, and therefore, under the Constitution, he cannot be our president again. We'll see what the courts decide if they do end up deciding here. Eric Olson, an attorney representing the plaintiffs here, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. And joining me now to break down this lengthy filing that we got, John Dean, former White House counsel to President Nixon, Ellie Honig, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, and CNN's senior legal analyst and regular here on The Source. Ellie, so let me start with you because you just heard uh, what Eric Olson was arguing there, how his assessment of reading this. What are the strongest points that you think the Trump legal team is making here and the weakest? Yeah, Caitlin. So Trump's brief, which was just filed earlier today, is 34 pages long. But let me break it down into sort of the four major arguments that Trump's team makes. Number one, he argues he did not engage in insurrection. I think that's a weak argument, first of all, on the facts. But second of all, the Supreme Court's not going to touch that. They're not a fact finder. They don't do trials. They generally won't make that kind of finding. Argument two that Trump makes is this is up to Congress. Congress has to tell us how this works. It's not up to the individual states. That would cause chaos. I tend to think that's a stronger argument. I think that would give us some sense of uniformity. There's ways to read the 14th Amendment either way on that. The third argument that Trump makes in the, in the brief is that even if it is up to the states, like Colorado, he says he was not given due process. Colorado did not follow its own rules, and the hearing that he was given was insufficient. I think that's a fairly close call. And then the fourth argument we just heard Mr. Olson responding to is this claim that the term officers, as it's used in the insurrection clause, does not include the president. I tend to side with Colorado and Mr. Olson on that one. You can carve that up linguistically either way, but I think just common sense, as Mr. Olson just said, how could it not apply to the president? But all of this is new, Caitlin. Whatever happens here, we're all going to learn together. Uh, John Dean, if you're a Supreme Court justice, what are you thinking about tonight, you know, as this is, it seems inevitable to land in their laps? Well, I think the the brief actually, uh, the petition anticipates the court in that they are very, very light on the argument that there was no insurrection and Trump wasn't involved. I don't think the court wants to go into that. As Ellie said, there's a, a fact-finding body in Colorado that really looked thoroughly at that, did had a trial on it for five days, and uh, they're not going to go there. But so what I'm looking at is what is going to solve this problem statewide and nationally, if you will, uh, so that because it's going to come back up at the uh, level of the general election. So we need to get it resolved. Yeah, it could be chaos if they don't. Ellie, you know, we've been hearing from from Trump attorneys. I do wonder if to a degree part of the argument was that Trump wanted that included in this response to say that he didn't engage in the insurrection because he was 
you know, whenever that was determined by the courts in, in Colorado, by the Secretary of State there, it was a, a sore point for him. But his attorney, Christina Bob, was talking about the application of the 14th Amendment. This is what she told, uh, what she said about that. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment doesn't even apply to the president. It's not self-executing. Uh, Donald Trump hasn't been charged with insurrection. And this is a question for the voters. The reason why it doesn't apply to the president was because the drafters of the 14th Amendment realized that the president is elected by the entire nation, and it should be the entire nation who determines who they want for president, whether they're guilty of insurrection or not. Uh, Ellie, is that a strong legal argument in your view? <laughs> well... I agree with half of it. I agree when she says that it's not necessarily self-executing because Section 5 of the 14th Amendment says Congress has to pass laws telling us how this works and it's not left up to the state. That's what this sort of self-executing argument means. I disagree with the point she was making that it does not apply to the president. I do want to agree strongly with something that John Dean, Justice Dean, just said that I think is a really important point. If the Supreme Court takes this case, there's a way they can decide it where they answer all of these challenges at once. If they say it's only up to Congress, all 50 states, that's it, we're done, no more of these challenges. But if they say, yes, the states can do as they please, and Colorado did or did not meet that, then we're gonna have 49 other challenges. So they have a really important decision to make about how broadly they wanna cast their decision here. Well, that is an interesting question, John, that Ellie raises there, which is how they're approaching this, because obviously, you know, we've seen the, the Supreme Court under a microscope in recent years. After the 2000, after the Bush v. Gore election or decision there, there was, you know, they took a hit to their standing, essentially. When it comes to how they could decide this, it's not just a yes or no. There are different ways and narrower scopes that we could see as an outcome from the Supreme Court of what this could look like, right? That's right, Caitlin. And they may also wait a while. They don't have to take this petition immediately. They might want to see what other states do and not tip their hand as to how they feel about it. So uh, the problem is still young. The issue is growing. Uh, more states are. I think there's something like 14 states out there with this issue still brewing. So uh, who knows how they're going to resolve it. Uh, I think ultimately they're going to have to. There's no question it'll have to be resolved. Uh, before the end of the general election, but uh, when is still open, an open question. Ellie Honig, Justice John Dean, I like that, that name. Thank you both for joining tonight. <laughs>